but what is it that's really the most important? God's Word, that's right. And uh, in essence, specifically, I'm talking about the preaching of God's Word and uh, also the emphasis that we are to put on the truth. And I'm talking about this morning the, the true, the pure, the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That is what we are here for as part of uh, the, the gathering of together of God's people, that we are together in order to, to uh, preach and, listen, to preserve the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially in the context of the current climate uh, that we live in, in which we see that there's so much uh, uh, that revolves around a corrupting, I guess, of the, of, of the gospel. It's uh, in various different ways. And so um, we seek to proclaim Christ, make him known. We seek to contend for the truth that, and the faith that was once and for all delivered unto the saints. And I'm not so much talking here about all the issues that surround discernment ministries, but I'm talking about that which relates to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in its purest and truth, uh, truth uh, form as we see it there in the scriptures. We were just talking uh, uh, at the prayer meeting on Friday evening, a few of us, Sam Coleman, myself and um, I think it was Jim, a few of us were just uh, gathered there and uh, we were talking about Paul the Apostle and what an interesting character he is because uh, when you read the Bible and you read the the epistles of Paul, you get a bit of a picture and an overview of the type of person that Paul was and, and, and how on various occasions uh, um, when there was those that would uh, maybe had a misunderstanding of the, of the gospel, he sought to bring clarification, he sought to correct, he sought to teach uh, them and establish them in the truth. And so there were times in which his approach was such. But then there are other times in the scriptures where we find that uh, uh, Paul was quite aggressive in his conduct and in his language in which uh, those that he considered to be corrupting the gospel and therefore uh, he responded in such a way that his reaction was to preserve the truth, to un be uncompromising in its co proclamation and application to the Christian life. And so when we look at Paul the Apostle, we, uh, we can identify a number of things and we can see that God, amen, is working uh, through Paul to establish a standard, I guess, an example for us to follow. That we can look at, uh, as much as we look at Christ, we can look at Paul the Apostle and as we can see and identify certain aspects. And in this instance, we're looking at the pure gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. Because the reality is, one, we have to preach it, and two, we have to preserve it. Okay? And they're the two thoughts that I want to consider with you. But what is the gospel? What is the gospel? We know in 1 Corinthians 15 we have a summary there in which uh, it says, Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose from the dead on the third day. That's the gospel that we preach. And so, obviously, as we highlight those aspects of the gospel, and there's others, we make emphasis on God's love for humanity. We make emphasis on that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe on him should not perish, but have 
everlasting life. And so we make an emphasis of these things. But Christ died for our sins. Hallelujah. And so there are things that we want to consider as we look at the text and as we go through the Word of God this morning because I think it is important and it is imperative that we uh, speak about the love of God in relation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's only one side of the coin. And so uh, we have to speak about uh, that which relates to the issue of sin. And uh, isn't it interesting that the banner of Kingsway that we have out there, I think it might even be out there today, I'm, I'm assuming, is the banner is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, where Paul the Apostle says, this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Sinners. And so this issue of sin, there's the issue of sin, uh, sinners in relation to the preaching and proclamation of the gospel. And I want to consider just a couple of things as we look at the pure gospel of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians, oh, sorry, did I say 1st, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians, sorry, chapter 2. And uh, we'll read just one, one scripture. We'll move from here. In verse 17. And Paul the Apostle writes, For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as, as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. For we are not as so many or as others peddling the word of God, but as of uh, sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Now, Paul is making quite an interesting statement here, and he's writing his obviously second epistle to the Corinthians, in which, in the first instance, he has been systematically taking them through some issues to, to clarify and to teach and establish them in the truth of, of, the, of the Christian life. And in 2 Corinthians now he's having to write and he's uh, having to defend himself against the false teachers uh, that are accusing him of various things and also he has to uh, contend with those that are wanting to corrupt the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see later he talks in chapter 11 about um, even Satan uh, transforms himself into an angel of light. And so everything that comes in the name of Christ is not of Christ. And so, uh, uh, and Paul uses this when he says we are, uh, uh, we are not as so many or, so, or, the, or the others peddling the word of God. He uses this particular word in the King James, it says corrupting the word of God. And so uh, uh, it's an interesting word that Paul is using because it's only found once in the, in, in the, uh, in the New Testament and yet uh, it has something to teach us. Paul is in the context of expressing how he has been faithful to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and he is the fragrance, he talks about this, or we are the fragrance of God among those who are saved and among those who are perishing and he's talked about how God has helped him in his ministry to proclaim the gospel and proclaim Christ. He says in verse 16, and who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient? Paul knows that, that even he, as an instrument, as a vessel of God, 
Even he is not sufficient for such a mighty uh, divine task, but he understands his God-given responsibility, his, the command of God to go and preach the gospel, especially in relation to the Gentiles and his ministry there. And he is ensuring the fact that he's going to do it faithfully, he's going to do it truthfully, he's going to honour the truth of God's word and he will, he will, he will uh, preach it and as we see, he will preserve it and protect it to make sure that it is uncorrupted. And still, as it was in Paul's day, so it is today, amen? It doesn't change. And so, therefore, it has uh, its relevance to us. He says, we are not, like so many others, peddling the word of God. You see, what's interesting, Paul considered people to be peddling the word of God or corrupting the word of God. And so, it, this particular word here in the Greek, it actually speaks of and represents a, uh, a, a huckster is, is actually the, def the definition or um, a, p a peddler, someone who would peddle a, a product uh, of some sort. So, uh, and it also, uh, it is, uh, also re relates to, uh, to adulterate. So there's a few aspects of its meaning but let me just give you an example to illustrate what I'm saying. You see, a huckster was one that would try and market his goods. Okay. He wasn't. He was in contrast to a merchant. I give you. You know, we have uh, uh, we have all the designer stores, right? You know, and so, and and then you go to the markets, and you've got lots of hucksters at the markets, don't you? You know, all their little name brands. You know, they're like the real thing, but they're not the real thing. And so the huckster is there saying, "Come, you know." And so they're 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 they're, they're selling their product. And this is, a, this is, in a sense, a, a huckster as such. And so Paul is charging those who are peddling the word of God. So in other words, they are tampering with the word of God for various reasons. There are, uh, there, there's also the aspect that it relates to adulterate this word corrupt. Now, to give you an example of that, uh, it relates to uh, the wine sellers. You know, uh, they would sell their wine and they would market their wine, but what they would do is, uh, rather than sell it in its pure form, they would uh, adulterate it. They would dilute it or they would corrupt it and they would then market that and sell that on, but the product was not as it should be. It was diluted. And what's interesting is in the book of Isaiah, in relation to the children and uh, the nation of Israel, in its apostasy and in its disobedience to God, God says in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 22, in your wine is mixed with water. And in other words, uh, it, it, it's reflecting the, the corrupted state of the nation of Israel in its pure worship of God and then its embracing of idolatry and its disobedience of God. They have corrupted the, the, the true worship of God and God brings this indictment against them in relation to their corrupted state. But you see, the huckster this morning, he would adulterate, or he would, sorry, uh, he <coughs> uh, or whoever, they would adulterate their goods for three various purposes. One was because they had an interest to, uh, to gain out of it. That's what their primary motivation was to gain. They wanted something out of it for themselves, obviously. 
But there's a second reason is because uh, they wanted to beat their competitors. So they, uh, they had to, um, uh, uh, in order to offer a product that was cheaper, in order to gain the attention of the people, they, um, they would market it as such and so they did, they did various things in order to beat their competitors and uh, lastly, they did it to cater to the tastes of the people. They did it to do it to, to tailor to the case the, the tastes of the people because they began to identify, hey, they love to have it like this. So we'll give it to them. We'll mix we'll mix it up, we'll make a bit of a concoction. And uh, and they love it, and so it's a it's a, we're on a good thing here. And so this is uh, the the idea behind when Paul uses uh, we are not as so many others uh, peddling the word of God. Now think about what the word peddling means in the relation to what we've just touched upon. And Paul is charging people for peddling the word of God. That they're doing it for their own self-interest. That they're doing it to cater to the tastes of the people. They're doing it to beat their competitors because they want to be bigger than the next church. They want to have more people and really that's what's given birth. This whole emphasis is what's given birth to the megachurch, isn't it? Because the megachurch is all about big. It's all about numbers. It's all about having the crowds and somehow that equals success. Somehow that equals the blessing of God and the favour of God. But we know that's far, far from the truth. And so what we've seen in our day and age is we've seen... Uh, uh, the reality of people who are peddling the word of God for their own self-interest, for their own self-gain and as the scripture says, they'll have tickling ears and they'll heap up for themselves teachers. You see, they're only catering to the tastes of the people. Why can they get such crowds? Because people love to have it so. They love that little mixture. They love the bit of the entertainment, a bit of the groove, a bit of this and a bit of that. Oh, Christianity is so much fun. It's great. But what about the gospel? Is the gospel being preached? Is the gospel being presented? Is it being preached in its unadulterated form? Because if we're going to preach the gospel, if we're going to preach it in its unadulterated and purest form, then the reality is we might offend some folks. The numbers might go down a little bit. The crowds may dissipate. That's what happened with Jesus, didn't it? He had the crowds and they all wanted to make him king. Oh, they loved him. So he gave them a few words. He spoke to them and they got offended. They said, this is a hard saying and they all disappeared. And Jesus said to the twelve, didn't I choose you? You see, God has his ways of mixing things through and sorting things out. But we have a generation, especially in the modern day, where we have those that are peddling the word of God. You know, I, had, I found this years ago and I, it's obviously something that I have in, in my file and I, uh, it's not as relevant now, but it's still, it is relevant in a way. Because uh, who's familiar with Bill Hybels and the Willow Creek? church that was established many years ago so yeah you be aware of these things but what is interesting is when he wanted to start the church to how he went about it and uh, I found this and I kept this and it says Bill Hybels is the senior pastor of the 12,000 plus member Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago when Hybels decided to plant a church at Willow Creek 
Rather than faithfully preach the word of God, he instead took a three-man survey team through the community, asking those people that admitted to being unchurched why they did not regularly attend church. The survey revealed that people, one, didn't like being bugged for money. Hmm. Two, found church boring, predictable and routine. Can happen. Didn't think that the church was relevant to their lives. And four, always left the church feeling guilty. Now there's the problem. Eh? Uh, why? So... The, the, the Christian message was too negative with sin, they said. Well, Heibel's solution was to program our Sunday morning service to non-believers uh, so that the newcomers would feel welcome, unthreatened and entertained. And so, and this is what he'd written on his own website, who we are at Willow Creek. And so one man interprets this and he says, uh, Bill Heibel's method then is take a poll of lost people find out what they want in religion, then make an all-out effort in the church to provide what they want. Sounds a bit like a huckster to me. Real Bible believers do not follow the polls to find out what sinners want. They go to the Bible and find out what sinners need. They need the gospel. They get their message from the Bible. And so here is an illustration of what I'm talking about and what Paul the Apostle is talking about, for we are not as many peddling the word of God. We could go from one example to the next example to the next example to the next example in the modern day that we live. And the truth is, is that none of us are exempt and we, can all, we are all in danger if, if we're not mindful of hucksterizing or compromising or corrupting the gospel of Jesus Christ because look we would love to have the crowds I'd love to have these these every chair so filled and everything just you know be preaching and uh, so forth and God willing we want that not to you know say that's a negative thing that's what we want but it's not to the exclusion and compromising of God's of God's word not in order to accommodate the tastes of the people to make them feel good and yet just uh, send them on, their, on the road to hell without giving them the gospel, the true gospel, the unadulterated gospel. I remember uh, when I was pastoring in, in Greensboro and uh, some people that were going to the church, they went to a, a, a Christian meeting and they were, you know, it was all seeker-friendly and at the end of the service they gave everyone strawberries and cream. Give them the gospel. <laughs> you know, like this is this is this is what we're talking peddling the word of God. But see, in our zeal to want to see be, see success, in our order to show numerical results, we're all tempted to, to adulterate the word of God in some way because maybe that'll just keep the people there. Because if I start preaching and if I start teaching and if I start dealing with the issues of their lives and we get down to the nitty gritty of the practicalities of Christian life and Christian living and sin like that, whoa, you're getting too close for comfort, preacher. And so it might not turn out the way that we want, but we cannot compromise the gospel truth. There was a book that I read some time ago by a man named James Stewart and it was called Defective Evangelism. Defective Evangelism. It was a tremendous book. It was written back maybe in the 50s or 60s, I'm not sure, but he was a revivalist preacher 
Um, I'm sure that was one of the sermons that we had heard. Uh, uh, the first one, Jim, when Jim was helping me paint the house recently, we listened to some sermons. And, uh, and he wrote this book, Defective Evangelism, because he was identifying aspects of that then. And being a revivalist preacher, seeing God move mightily through his ministry over the years as a young boy. Actually, he was, I got a book from him. It was called The Preacher Boy. At the age of 16, he was preaching the gospel. And so he, he makes this statement. He says, It is a terrible thing for a man to qualify or modify the gospel in any way, tempering its severity, compromising its righteousness or lowering its standard. This practice is the gateway to defective evangelism. You see, all you have to do is just compromise, temper just a little bit, just just tamper with it just a fraction, just dilute it a little bit so it's digestible. But you see, you can't do that. You know, now that we, you know, we, in the old days they used to have medicine. You used to hate medicine. Like, <laughs> now you got strawberry, you know, this and that. Oh, give me more. You know? But you can't sugarcoat the gospel. Amen? Because uh, in its purest form, it is offensive. It'll make you uncomfortable. It will challenge your life. Children are laughing at me for some reason. Find me amusing. But you see, all you have to do is dilute it and you weaken it. Once you begin to tamper with it, once you begin to dilute the gospel, you tamper with the gospel. And so, you know, let's take, for example, uh, probably not the best example, but it still illustrates my point. Let's take alcohol. If I gave you a drink of pure alcohol, what do they call it? Grappa? What's the, and everyone has a different one. You know, Baba's dead or... Uh, dead off, you know, th- he says, here, have one, Gary. No, thank you. And he's like, they drink that little cup, you know. It's, it's pure, pure alcohol. Or, you know, but, and so if you were to drink that, what's the effect of it? It's going to have an Im- a powerful, immediate effect upon your well-being. But if you dilute it, and you dilute it, and you dilute it, and you dilute it, and then you drink it, it's, it's not going to have the same impact, is it? And though it's not the best illustration, alcohol, but it does serve to illustrate the point, the gospel in its unadulterated, purest form will have an effect. It will penetrate. It will uh, hit, hit hard, but if you dilute it, hmm, it's really nice. Gospel's so beautiful. But you see, in reality, that's not always the case. You know, because one of the things that I have noticed over the years and it's been deliberate and it's been a dilution is the word sin and sinner. You know, I, I, I hate the phrase and I've said it probably before, this uh, uh, um, unchurched. I don't know where this concept comes from. I don't find it in my Bible. Christ Jesus came into the world to save the unchurched. Uh-huh. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You see, sinners is a very potent word. You can adulterate it. We're just lost. We're just, you know, we're 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 lonely or whatever, whatever, whatever. However you want to package it, but you see, what has been deliberate is there's been a deliberate strategy to dilute 
the Word of God and take away the potency of various words because they are offensive, they hit the mark and when we say Christ died for our sin and we talk about sin, not as some problem, not as some mistake, but we're talking about the transgression of God's law. We're talking about a deliberate disobedience to God and when you begin to bring it down on that level, this is where they want to avoid it. They want to make it seeker sensitive. We don't want to make anyone feel guilty. Well, then what Bible are you reading? Because my Bible says uh, on the day of Pentecost uh, when Peter preached, uh, I tell you, there's an example, read that. And then the Bible says uh, they were convicted. They were cut to the heart. You see, because when you preach the unadulterated word of God, that is what we want to see. Not of man, but of God, where God then, amen, can do his work in the human heart. But you see, when they adulterate it and dilute it, how can the Holy Ghost bring guilt? The Bible says that the law is there, that gives us a knowledge of sin and it also is there to make the whole world guilty. What? Guilty? You mean that we, the sinner needs to feel guilt? Absolutely. The very thing that is the vehicle to bring them to God has been taken out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we don't use the word sinner anymore. We use the word unchurched. Going to church doesn't even make you a Christian. You can be in church and still not saved. So misleading are these terms. You see, Jesus said, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sinners is a biblical word. I, again, I... I when I read years ago this book of, by James Stewart, Defective Evangelism, I found this quote and I kept it. It was by, by a man named Robert Anderson. He's a, he was an Englishman, man of God, wrote various books. And uh, he, he made this observation and said this. He said, A gospel that points to the death of Christ in proof of God's high estimate of man and then turns the doctrine of that death into a syllogism so that men in no way lose their self-respect, can sit down and calmly reason out their right to blessing by it, will give no offence to anyone, nor be branded as foolishness. Such a gospel pays due difference to human nature and satisfies men's sense of need without hurting at least, the least, his pride. You see, a syllogism, to define it, because I you're like me, we have to know what does that mean, is a form of reasoning in which two statements are made and a logical conclusion is drawn. So God so loved the world that he gave his son, praise the Lord. It doesn't work like that. When you, when you dilute the gospel in such a way as this and you bring it down to some intellectual concept, just to some form of reasoning, you say this and this and that equals that. Well, that's great. But you see, there's a human element to this and we know what it is to feel guilt. We know what it is to feel shame. We have to then bear the burden of our sins. So we're not talking about making the gospel so palatable that it doesn't even have an impact. 
The gospel, if it's preached unadulterated, should make people uncomfortable. It should, the fear of God should grip their hearts. And it's in light of those realities that we then can lock onto the love of God, that we then can identify how much he loves us. It's then that we experience his love and forgiveness uh, and it means so much more than just some rational, theological or uh, form of reasoning that we could uh, uh, attribute to it. You see, we have to understand these things. A.W. Tozer said, until we believe that we are as bad as God says we are, we can never believe that he will do for us what he says he will do. Right here is where popular religion breaks down. It never quite accepts the severity of God or the depravity of man. It stresses the goodness of God and man's misfortune. Sin is a pardonable frailty. And God is not too much concerned about it. He merely wants us to trust in his goodness. Doesn't that sound familiar? Just trust in his, it's all about the goodness of God. And I'm not saying it doesn't have its place. But to believe this is to ground faith upon falsehood and build our eternal hope upon sand. No man has any right to pick and choose among revealed truths God has spoken. You have to preach the whole gospel. You have to preach the whole counsel of God. You have to deal with the various issues of God's judgment and the severity of God's judgment. And we have to understand the reality of sin and the holiness of God and the justice of God. All of these things have to be preached. That's why we have to preach about eternal judgment. We have to preach about sin. We have to see uh, that, that God finds sin abhorrent and that we need to repent and we need to humble ourselves and turn from our sin and so forth. Like I said, when you read the book of Acts, what you see is you find that you read a few of the messages that Peter preached and Paul preached and you realise it was very confrontational. It was, very, it was filled with the message of hope and forgiveness and God's provision for sin and Christ and all of those things. But I tell you now, uh, a number of occasions it says, Christ whom you crucified... And so what you find is the gospel is being preached unadulterated and you can read the book of Acts, you can read the epistles and we can identify exactly what the gospel is. But also, not only that aspect, but we see as you read the epistles and you read about Paul the Apostle especially, you see that there was a gospel that was preserved and protected from those who sought to corrupt it. And when we see a corruption of the gospel, when we see that there's a peddling of the word of God, where, uh, then it, it, it is imperative that we would stand up, uh, amen, and we would stand on the truth of God's word and we would, make a, um, we would do, uh, hold fast to that which is the truth and preach it and declare it and expose the, uh, the, those things that are, that are false. And that are, and ultimately, in defective evangelism, if you're preaching a gospel that's not the gospel, then are people really genuinely being saved? I'm not saying that there aren't those that aren't. I'm sure there are. God is merciful. God is gracious. But my point is, uh, how many are not? Paul says, I'm not peddling the word of God. And then he identifies his motives. Then he identifies the reason why he does what he does. And he says, but as of sin 
sincerity in verse 17, as of sincerity. You see, Paul's motivation is not for self-gain. Paul's motivation is for sin because of sincerity. He has uh, the sincerity of God, the sincerity of his own heart, and he wants to be a preacher of the word of God. He's not interested uh, in personal gain. He's not interested to profit. He's not interested for his own power and prestige. prestige. I was talking to someone recently. Who, to- who was it that told me about Brian and Bobby Houston about being interviewed. Was that you, Dave? Who was it that mentioned that to me? And then they said, they said uh, something about money and she says, uh, she said, Bobby said, we work hard for our money. Well, that makes it even better, doesn't it? Well, I guess it's all okay then. Use the gospel as a vehicle for, for, for profit as long as you work hard. I'm working hard for that. I bet you are. Since when, you see, and the, the world... I mean, see something that's wrong. And we Christians, we look at that and we say, oh God, the blessing of God is there. What blessing of God? Don't equate that with blessing. I hear that and it makes me sick because there's no justification. And not only that, Paul the Apostle, he was of sincerity. He actually said to the Corinthians, so I have a right to preach. He who preaches from the gospel should live. That's the, the principle. But you know what? I didn't even avail myself to that. So self-sacrificing, so sincere was Paul, he didn't even want to give him a reason to think otherwise. That they, He wanted to be so blameless that no one could lay a finger on him and say this or that or this or that because he worked he, with his own hands, he provided for himself uh, and, uh, and in doing so we have those that unashamedly say, well, I've worked hard for that. What have you worked hard for? Seriously. But this is peddling the word. There are those that are peddling the word of God. And it needs to be identified. Of sincerity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you can turn just back there. And in verse 12, he says, For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. Paul's identifying the spirit and the heart and the motivations in which he came to the Corinthians and he says to them, I came to you uh, and, I've, and not only that, we've conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. Thank God for that. That needs to be the motivation. Can you say amen? amen. He says uh, in our text, he says, we're not as many peddling the word of God but of sincerity as from God. You see, as from God. See, Paul understood. The reason why Paul was, the sincerity of Paul was rooted in the fact that he he says, I am from God. I have been sent from God. I am God's appointed men and instrument and vessel for this very purpose. And he is keenly and acutely aware of his responsibilities towards God. He understands these things. He understands that I am under the control of another. I am, have been directed by God. That's why in 1 Corinthians, we looked at this last week, why he said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I've been entrusted with a stewardship. So the best thing he can do as his duty, not to do it unwillingly, but willingly and do it sincerely. Do it sincerely with his whole heart. There was no hidden agenda, no other motive, but to preach the gospel. 
and see people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wasn't thinking of profiting. He didn't say to the Corinthians, well, listen, I work hard for my money. You see, he didn't think about diluting it. He said, God forbid that I would compromise the gospel. God forbid that I would compromise and dilute it in any way. He even pulled Peter inside and said, what are you doing? You can't do that, Peter. You've got to remain faithful and true to the truth. And so he, he says uh, uh, the, that which relates to sincerity as from God and as we speak in the sight of God in Christ. You see, Paul knew that he was accountable to God. He knew that God was, in a sense, watching him. He was acutely aware of the fact that, you know what? God is observing what I'm doing. That's why when he said to the Corinthians, I came to you in fear and much trembling. He, I don't think, uh, some will say that he was fearful and, uh, and trembled at the Corinthians. I don't think he did. Hey, you read about Paul, he got converted. He started preaching anything and everything. I don't see Paul fearful of men. But what Paul's saying is, I came to you acutely aware, it says here, that God had ordained me, God had committed this to me, and I came to in fear and trembling that I was not going to preach anything other than Christ and Him crucified. That I wouldn't come to you in wisdom of words, I wouldn't come to you as a charlatan, I wouldn't come to you diluting the gospel and making myself the centre and focus of things, but no, I, I came to you and to preach and I want to know nothing other than Christ and Him crucified. And so the fear of God was upon him because, as he says here, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. He knew that God was watching him. He knew that God was observing him in relation to these things. He had a sense of accountability and this is what kept him honest and sincere in preaching the gospel. And he says, I didn't come to you with wisdom of words. You know, we've all fallen into that trap in trying to share the gospel. Who's... Wisdom of words. How many times? I know. Let's put the hands up. <laughs> I've done it. Sometimes I still fall into it because you know we we, we want to. We, we, I mean, sometimes we need to. It's good to reason with people, absolutely, and dispute in some instances. But we need to have wisdom. But some, it's the gospel is the power is in the gospel. The power is in the message of the cross. God has chosen to have that message preached by the foolishness of preaching. Oh, I thought I was really good. <laughs> and I'm not saying that we can't, you know, the Bible says he who wins souls is wise, so I'm not denigrating the need for wisdom. I'm talking about the wisdom of God, but not the wisdom of this world. You see, the power of the gospel is in the gospel. The power of the gospel is Christ and him crucified. The power of the gospel is the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you preach the simple, unadulterated word of God, then that is the vehicle by which God works in the hearts of men. And God brings conviction. We, we, can't, we can't reason people around to these things to the point in which we can accomplish God's work for them. 
We, we, for him we can't. We, we can do our part and we need the wisdom of God to understand, yes, maybe we need to give an explanation. Maybe we need to teach them a few things. Maybe it's required that we show them, absolutely. Or sometimes uh, you, you may even need to rebuke him or say, give him a hard word, I don't know. What, but in the wisdom of God, God will direct us and we, we learn these things. But at the end of the day, it is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's God's method. That's the power of God. And so we just need to be faithful to that and, and pray and seek the Lord and continue to intercede and these things are, are in God's hands. We can't control, we want to see the church grow but God's got to cause the church to grow. God has to bring about that multiplication. He has to bring about that fruitfulness. I think it's, it's easy, I mean, not that it's easy, but it's possible, and many are doing it, to gather crowds. And it all looks big and mighty and flashy, you know, because they've got the big bright lights and everyone's uh, it's just, oh, praise the Lord. Well, praise the Lord for what? What are you praising the Lord for? You see, we have to have the gospel preached. We have to have the gospel taught. We have to have the gospel unadulterated as Paul is showing us. You see, Paul preached it and he preserved it. And that's what it's all about, amen? That's why we call ourselves Protestants. <laughs> We're Protestants. It means we protest against error. We protest against that which is corrupting, that which is, uh, is deadly, that which is ungodly, unrighteous. Because it's corrupting the word of God. And people say, oh, you've, been, you've got to be loving, you've got to be large-hearted. This is what we were talking about the other day. And, uh, but, you know, go, turn to Galatians chapter 1 and look at Paul's words. Let's read it. Just refer people to Paul sometimes because Paul was gentle. Paul was loving. Paul was all of these things. But I tell you, Paul was passionate. And here he's writing to the Galatians and he's ready to address the issues that have surfaced, the false teachers that have come and they're corrupting the gospel, they're corrupting the grace of God and there's, uh, there, there, there's, uh, there are things that are happening and so Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Verse 9, As we have said before, so now I'll say it again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. For do we now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? If I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of God. Paul is saying, you know what? I'm obligated to speak the truth. I'm a bondservant of God. I cannot and I will not corrupt the gospel. And isn't it interesting? He says, uh, let, he says it twice to establish the truth. This is very serious. This is what this is showing us in the, in, in the vocabulary of God when God repeats something. And so, if anyone preaches to you another gospel, let him be accursed. They're heavy words. Heavy, heavy words. But we're dealing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and I think that in the midst of um, uh, this is how I feel so strongly about it in the midst of all the ecumenicism that we see in the world today in the midst of all the joining together and I'm not altogether against it um, but I tell you what we have to know what gospel is being preached because if the gospel is being corrupted or diluted or compromised in any way then I'm a bondservant of Christ I cannot and I will not I'm a Protestant and if I need to I'll protest and that's why I can't join hands with Catholics that's why I can't I won't it's why I will preach against these things in order to preserve, to preach and to preserve the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, as we think of Kingsway this morning, let us think in these terms and let us pray, O oh God, as we would seek to honour you and to preach and preserve the gospel, O oh God, as let us be fruitful. God, use us use our lives to, to, to preach, to witness, to share Christ. But remember, the gospel is about Christ Jesus coming into, world, into the world to save sinners. Sinners. The gospel is good news for bad people, not good people. It's good news for bad people. And bad people need to be saved. Amen. Glory to God, you're hearing me. <laughs> and it is though. And that's what makes the gospel so much more glorious, doesn't it? Because when you realise how bad we are, and we are sinful, we are under the condemnation and God, and yet God loves us still, and still he's made such provision. He has saved us. He's given us an inheritance. We have promises. There's so much more to still come. Oh, gosh, you can get excited and really shout for joy. The kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord because we have the gospel. We've been saved. We've been set free. We've passed from death to life. Glory to God. We don't have to sit here and talk about, how, uh, you know, and mope all the time. We're saved. We've been delivered. Glory to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning, God, for your word, for the ministry of your spirit, God, in this place. Lord, as we consider this issue this morning, God, we want to be a people that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be a people that are set to preserve the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in doing these things, oh God, it's all unto an end. And that end is to see the salvation of souls. Lord, you came to seek and save the lost. You came, oh God, to heal the brokenhearted. You came to set at liberty those that are oppressed. God, you came to destroy the works of the devil. And my God, in light of these things, the gospel is to be preached into the highways into the byways. God, that we would compel them to come in. Oh, Lord, as though Christ were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Lord, use us for this purpose. God, we pray for fruitfulness. We pray, God, that we would see sinners saved. In Jesus' name, as we seek to give you the glory, that Christ would be exalted and magnified in our midst. 
Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you this morning.